this uh, past Friday, the youth group or the, the kids that were able to come, we carved pumpkins. And as we were carving pumpkins and we were having a good time, it was really messy. And I'm sure a lot of them um, still probably have some pumpkin juice somewhere on them. It was really dirty. It was all downstairs. It was great. They were carving. They're really amazing artists. Like all, all, all of them, all the pumpkins were, were beautiful and great. Um, there was a moment in me, though, that as we're carving these pumpkins and as we're having all this fun, as the boys are running around screaming their heads off, because I guess that's what middle school boys do is just go crazy. Uh, I was kind of thinking to myself, it's like, you know, this isn't very spiritual. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of thought back to when I was a kid and I was, uh, I was in youth group. I, I, I had a youth pastor who made everything super spiritual. It didn't matter what we were doing, that we had to somehow insert Jesus into it, insert, insert some sort of religious thing that would make it more spiritual. And as I was thinking about that, even with the kids, I kind of was like, forget it. You know, we're just going to have fun carving these pumpkins. We're going to enjoy our time together and just fellowship. And I'm sure all of them, they don't even remember um, the spiritual aspect of it because it's just carving pumpkins. And I think we have this happen in the church a lot because it's not just with the youth group. It's with everything that we do is that we, we have this tension between like fellowship and then the spiritual aspect behind the fellowship. Like we talk a lot about eating together. I mean, our church, after every service, we go downstairs and we eat lunch or we eat some kind of snack downstairs. And I hope you don't feel like it's this spiritual thing, this thing that you have to do to, to, to make it seem like you're being a good Christian or that, that God is, is in the midst of you. So hopefully, hopefully, that when we eat and we fellowship together, that it's just a nice time to, to hang out, to just be with one another. Um, you know, I'm a big proponent of sports and a big proponent of watching games together. And I, I really hope that if you invite people to your house uh, for, for, like, to watch a game, that you're not like, all right, we got to listen to one of the sermons before we, we start the game. I, I hope it's this, this kind of like free-flowing thing where you can, where you can just hang out and enjoy each other's company. And I think that's one of the benefits of community, of church, is that we can gather in a place where we can be family with one another, be together, and it, we don't have to over-spiritualize everything. We don't have to make everything into this lesson, into this bigger thing. But, and of course there's a but, but there is an aspect of church, of fellowship, of community that has an underlying foundation of what I like to call spirituality. And even when I say that word, it, it has to be kind of redefined. What do I mean when I say spiritual? And I'm even talking to the kids right now. It's like, what, what does it mean when someone says that they're spiritual? And I'm sure you've even heard people talk about it. You know, you ask, hey, do you go to church? And they're like, no, 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 no. But I'm, I'm pretty spiritual. You know, I, I believe in, in things. And so it's like, what, what do we mean when we say this idea of being spiritual? And I want to break it down for us today, at least in my working definition of what it means to be spiritual. And it's less of a definition, but more of a feeling, more of an idea that I want to get across, is that spirituality is what answers the bigger questions. It, it, spirituality is what answers questions like, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of existence? The spirituality is not like I like to, um, it's not the fact that I like to eat and I like to go out to, to restaurants and I like to hang out with people. That's not really the spiritual aspect. The spiritual aspect is why do we do these things? You know, why do we work so hard? Why do we enjoy our hobbies? And it's in answering these questions that, in my opinion, answers our spirituality. 
that defines our spirituality. And so, just to break it down even more, as Christians, we understand the meaning of life, the purpose of life, as shalom. And, and this word shalom is something that I'm going to try to argue, and I'm going to try to convince you over the next couple of weeks that this is the meaning of life. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard the term shalom. I'm sure if you have Jewish friends, you, you've, you've heard them greet each other and say, oh, shalom, you know, like, like welcome. And the, the, the meaning behind shalom is this idea of peace, a peace be with you. But I want to expand that definition a little bit more. Um, and and it's, it's less about just, just peace be with you, but the way the Bible uses shalom, the way that it's used in, in, the, in, in Hebrew, it's more of this idea of completeness, this intactness. That, that, and, and, and the way I'm going to really use it today is that shalom is when things are as they should be. That shalom is this, is this yes, it's peace, but it's, it's that things are working together in a way that they were created to work. That things are existing in a peaceful fashion, in a, in a complete fashion, that it's not broken, it's not missing parts. That shalom is this, this idea that everything is as it should be, that it's together. And so when I say that the purpose of life is for Christians, for humans, for people, is this idea of shalom. I'm sure some of you are like, wait, wait, wait. What about the gospel? What about Jesus? And the idea behind the gospel is not apart from shalom. Shalom, this idea of completion, uh, this idea of, of, of wholeness is fulfilled through the gospel. What the gospel does, what Jesus did on the cross, is that he allows us to experience life completed, that we were once broken and through Jesus' blood and his death on the, on the cross, that we are brought into this place where we are redeemed, where we are made whole, where we are brought into this place of shalom. So I'm going to be using this term shalom a lot, and I want you to really think, whenever I say the word shalom, that you, you think to yourself, okay, when he says shalom, he's meaning things as they should be. That things are as they should be. So when I turn on the news, when you, when you turn on the TV and you, I don't know what, what channels you watch, whether it's Fox News or CNN or whatever it is that you watch, that when you turn on, that you would see the world is in need of shalom. The world is in need of this peace, this salvation, this completion. Because when we turn on the news, it's not the nice and fluffy stories. It's the, it's the dark ones. It's the evil ones. It's the, the broken things of our world that are constantly being bombarded to us. And what ends up happening is we have an innate desire inside to see shalom be enacted. To see completion be enacted in our society in our world. And so again, as believers, as people, this idea of spirituality, this idea of spirituality is less about being Bible reading, Christ following, you know, I, I live in church, I, I pray real hard. It's less about that. As good as that may be, reading your Bible is great, being a Christ follower is great, but at the end of the day, what really our call is, is when you say someone's spiritual, is that their desire is to bring shalom, completion, wholeness, to restore, 
What once was broken, that, that there would be a way in order to redeem it. And as believers, our method to bring people to this shalom, to this completion, is only through the cross. Is that we would take broken people and, and explain to them, God loves you, God cares about you, he wants to redeem you. He wants, you to, take, he wants to take you back into the fold. But I, what I want to argue, and, and this is kind of an introductory sermon. We're going to have a series over this idea of shalom. What I want to argue is it's not just a Christian thing, it's a human thing. Now we all desire this type of peace, but the way in which we achieve it in our lives is drastically different. And, and, and the, the issue is, is that many ways we try to accomplish shalom, shalom through sin. The, 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 the fact of the matter remains is that when most of us talk about the meaning of life, the most of us talk about why we exist today, the answers that we try to bring to that question are sinful. And before you think, okay, all, all these bad things that I'm doing and I need to repent and I need to, I need to turn from my wicked ways, before I, you, you go to that extent, I want to really bring to perspective what sin even is. So the story, and I'm sure many of you have heard it before. It's on our text today, but our, our sto- the story that I want to go over is the story of Adam and Eve. And the story of Adam and Eve is, is a relatively simple one. It's not something that is, is very complex. But Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, had the opportunity to walk with God each and every single day. And, and, and it wasn't this, this, this fake, and it wasn't this invisible God, it wasn't this far-off God that they were able to commune with God Every single day. And God, being the all-powerful, all-amazing, all-wonderful, all... Just like, I mean, it's God. I don't even know how you explain that. God being with them brought shalom to them every single day. That Adam and Eve, that when they were existing in the garden, that they felt complete. That they were whole. That everything in their life was taken care of because God was the one behind it. God was the one orchestrating it. God is the one who is walking with them. So their only responsibility was to be with God. And yes, God gave them work to do. God gave them positions and God gave them things that they would, they would work on because that's why he created them. But the, at, the, at, at the core of who they are, it was simply that they would exist with God. Their sin... And again, their sin wasn't this grand thing, but it still was sin. Their sin was this, is even though they existed in the shalom, even though they existed with God, walking with God, they said something that we say all the time. They, they, they acted in a way that we act all the time. And what it was is this, is that even though they were given this incredible grace, this incredible presence of God, that they were walking with him every single day, They said, but I want to do it my way. I want to do it the way I want to do it. I want what I want. And I know that's kind of a a paraphrase of how it works, but basically what ends up happening is they eat of this fruit that God told them don't eat. Again, God is bringing them shalom. God is bringing them peace. He's bringing them completion. There is no sin at this time. There is no brokenness. There is no imperfections that Adam and Eve are living in the garden Free, that they are allowed to do whatever they want. They are allowed to eat of any tree in the garden, but there was just one tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. And their sin was saying, I know you don't want me to, God, but I want to. So I'm going to. 
And they did. And this is what breaks shalom. This is, at, at, at the end of the day, what sin is, sin is anything that destroys the completion, that could, destroys the wholeness, that destroys the peace that God intended for us, for his creation. Sin always breaks shalom. Sin does not create shalom. Only God is able to bring about this wholeness. What sin does always is, is when someone says, I have a better way than God. I have a better set of rules, a set of systems, a set of code. That, that I, I have a better truth than God does. And I'm going to follow my truth and forget God's truth. And that in and of itself is what sin is. And that will never lead to Shalom, because only God is the one who can bring about shalom. So hopefully I haven't lost you yet. Because what, what happens so frequently is we blame Adam and Eve. It's like if only they didn't sin, then we would be living, you know, we would be living in the garden. Everything would be perfect. Everything would be great. But the fact of the matter remains is that regardless of if Adam and Eve sinned, is that we sin like this every single day. And it doesn't mean that you're murdering someone. It doesn't mean that you're sleeping around. It doesn't mean that you're doing all these bad things. But what it means is that God has a way for us to live, and we are constantly choosing a path away from it. We are constantly choosing a very different way because we see that this is the way. And what I mean when I say this, it kind of boils down to one thing. And I, I, I boil it down to one thing. I know there's a lot of different facets of it, but it really boils down to one thing. And I think it's even a biblical way to view it. But what we do is we follow money. The, the way we do it is, is we find shalom that we think we're going to find shalom in money. You know, the, the lottery, by the way, just letting you know, the lottery is at like over a billion dollars. It's like one point something billion dollars. And so again, this, this whole idea of shalom, this idea of completion, this idea of salvation, this idea that my life will be complete when? When I win the lottery. Shoot, if I won the lottery, I would be able to do so much with my life. There would be meaning in my life. I would be able to do this. I will be able to do that. And so, you know what? Some of you now, like, I'm tempting you. You're like, I'm going to go buy some lotto tickets right now because, man, who knows? Maybe I'll win. And, and the thing about that, the thing about the idea of even that, and again, I'm not better than you. I've, I, I'm thinking in my head, like, oh, you know, what would I do? And, of course, we spiritualize it in the way that we were used to. I would tithe it. You know, if I win, if I, God, if I win over a billion dollars after taxes, I'm going to make sure that I give you your 10%. And man, we can do so much for the kingdom of God. And we spiritualize it, but at the end of the day, what ends up happening is this. We're saying money has the power to bring peace to my life. That money has the power to complete my life. Money has the power to bring me joy. Money has the power to save me. Money has the power to make sure my family is safe. Money has the power to make sure that there are no worries, that there is no anxiety, there is no stress. Money has the power to cure my depression. Money has the power to bring shalom to my life. That's sin. That's, that's, that's sin. And, and I, I know it's, it's, it's not really the normal way we define sin. But really what sin is, it's, it's believing in a lie. Sin is believing and acting out a lie. 
We, we, we like to think that money will fix all of our problems. But the only one who can fix your problems is God, is Jesus. The only one who can actually redeem you is not a billion dollars. The only one who can redeem you for all of eternity is the God who's eternal. The only one who can bring you satisfaction to, the, to your life is the one who gave you life. The only one who can protect your family is the one who gave you your family. The only one who can help you find your calling is the one who gave you your calling. Sin is believing that lie that says money will bring me peace. Money will bring me joy. Before we go into our text, and our text today is Psalm chapter 46. Psalm 46 is, is a, a psalm that talks about God as our fortress. And if you leave today without really hearing anything, I want you to remember that God is our fortress. Starting from verse 1, Psalm chapter 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in, their, in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. Be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is a beautiful psalm, and I, I, I don't want to take away any of the beauty of it. But in the midst of the beauty, there's a lot of language of war and destruction. It talks about things being broken down. It talks about even natural disasters happening right outside. And, and the idea behind this is as the wars rage on and as the natural dis disasters are going on outside, that God is a fortress. And it talks about how God brings desolation, how God breaks the bow, he breaks the spear. And, and I think there's a truth that's, that's nestled in here that we need to live by and need to understand because so often we go against this. And I think the Old Testament has this theme over and over and over again. And so I don't want you to miss it. The call that's in Psalm chapter 46 is be still. And know that I am God. It's, it's, it's a simple call. It's be still and know that I am God. And the beauty of this is that the, with the image that God is our fortress. He's like that castle that is protecting us from all the things that are going on outside. The call that you and I have is to be still and know that he is God. But what we end up doing so frequently is the opposite. Church. 
what we end up doing is this, is we see the world go through these natural disasters. We see the world fighting and raging. We see brokenness and chaos outside of our walls. And we do what we do best. We try to fix it. And and some of you are probably thinking, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with us trying to fix the brokenness in the world? What's wrong with us doing good things for the world? What's wrong with that? It's not that it's wrong, it's that it's done out of order. See, the first call that you and I have is to be still and know that he is God, to be protected by him in the fortress. And then once you are protected by him in the fortress, we then understand that it's not your sword that defeats the armies of evil, that it's God's. You begin to understand that you have no power to stop an earthquake. That you have no power to stop a storm. That you have no power to stop these calamities from happening. But the God that you serve does. The God that you worship has the ability to, in a single word, stop a storm. In a single motion, to make armies lay their weapons down. See, I think what ends up happening is this, is that many times we've read in the Old Testament how these, how these Israelites, they went into battle, and there was times they went into battle recognizing that God is the one, that God is the one fighting for them, that God is the one that is helping them, that God is the one doing the battling for them, that he's the one fighting on their behalf. And then they go into those battles and they win, but there are times where these Israelites go into battle and they think, I got it. We got it. Our numbers are great. Our, 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 our tools are strong. We are intelligent people. We have good strategy. So we can win our battles on our, on our own. What God wants first and foremost from us is to recognize that he's the only one that can bring shalom. That he's the only one that can bring peace. That he's the only one that can make right what was wrong. I think we forget this in our day-to-day lives. I think we forget this when we raise our families. I think we forget this when we try to pursue a career. I think we forget this when we go into fellowship. I think we forget this when we come into worship. Many times we're constantly trying to do, we're constantly trying to to improve, we're trying to, to do all these things, and what ends up happening is simple, is that burden, that responsibility is placed on our shoulders. That you're the one that needs to provide for your family. You're the one that needs to get good grades. You're the one that needs to do, that you have to do. And if you don't, you're a failure. That's the world the world works. Either you're a failure or you're a success. And so if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you're going to fail. See, God's economy is a little bit different. And I say this every single week but I want to drill it into your head, is that in God's economy, when he looks at you, he doesn't say, if you've done right, you're a success. If you've you've done wrong, you're a failure. He looks at you and says, because of Jesus, there is shalom in you. There is shalom in your life. So you are a success. You are whole, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Therefore, go out and do good. Therefore, go out and win the battles. Therefore, go out and, and, and tell the storm to be calm. Tell those earthquakes to stop. Tell the nations to stop warring because you already are a success. Too many of us go and fight our battles trying to prove to ourselves, I'm good. I've done enough. 
Too many of us take those moments and we put it on our own shoulders and we make it a burden on our lives and maybe I'm just talking to myself. But I feel the pressures of life all the time. If you're in my small group, you know, we talk about these pressures all the time. I, I talk about it at least. I talk about how, how stressful it is. Talk about all the, all the different responsibilities that we have and, and constantly just being burdened and weighed down by all of this. But God is my fortress. And my call, first and foremost, is not to carry a lot of burden is not to carry all these responsibilities, is not for me to be perfect. My first responsibility is to be still and know that he is God, is to rest in the fortress of God. I think if you leave anything today, that's the call, is can you, in the midst of all the chaos in your life, can you be still in the fortress of God, knowing that God is going to protect you, knowing that he's going to be with, can you be still and trust in him? Have faith in him. That you're like a child, more, like an, more than an adult. A child that you will rest in the arms of God. And you will say, God, all I can do is be still and be held by you. Be protected by you. Even though I have all this chaos in my life, that only you can protect me, only you can save me from these things. And then it's those moments that we see the hand of God in our lives. We see God as our Father, swiping away all of our enemies, protecting us from anything that would harm us. Because why? Not because we went out and did the right thing, but because we were still and recognized that he is God. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about basically two things, Sabbath and tithing. And I know those kind of seem weird when we talk about shalom, when we talk about this completion. But the reason why we're going to talk about Sabbath and tithing, both of these disciplines focus on being still and knowing that he's God. When we talk about Sabbath, the reason why Sabbath is so important is not that you, you, you get a break, not that you would get rest, not that you would just, you just relax and, 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 and be still and, and just not do anything. It's not about that. It's about recognizing that God is the one that's doing the work. That Yes, our work is important and we're called to work six days and we're called to do good work during, the, during those six days, but there is a single day that we are called to be still and know that he is God. And I, I know, I don't know about you, but for me, it's so hard to practice true Sabbath. It's so hard to actually, to actually trust God with all the responsibilities that we had. I remember when I, was, when I was a student, and I was a student for a long time, the hardest thing was, even in seminary, was to take a day and not study. Why? Because my grades are on me. They're dependent on me. My success is dependent on me. So I remember even in seminary, all the different future pastors, all the different people who are studying the word of God, we all were like, man, we all are sinners. We're all committing the sin of breaking the Sabbath. And I remember one guy was like, but at least we're studying the Bible. And, and you know what? That doesn't, that doesn't even matter because at the end of the day, what it is is, is saying to God, is God, I'm going to fight this battle. You can stay on the sideline because I got it. Whereas what Sabbath is supposed to do is say this, God I can't do this on my own. I need you to help me. And if you read about the battles in the Old Testament, you'll see that when, when the people had the heart to say, Lord, you fight with me, you fight for me, that that is the times that they found the most success. 
Same goes for tithing. And tithing is, is even harder. And again, it's not even we've required tithing at our church. It's, not, it's none of that. I don't, I don't look at how much people give. I don't, it, for me, it doesn't impact me whatsoever. But the purpose of tithing is to recognize that the money that I made today, that the money I made this month, the money I made this year, that God, it's all yours. And, it, and without you, that none of this would even be here. Without you, I wouldn't have any of these blessings. So here is your portion, not because you require it, but because, Lord, I recognize that without you, I could not do anything. And we're going to flesh out these two ideas. And it's not to guilt you. And I hope I'm not guilting you even now. I hope you don't feel guilty because the idea is not about guilt. The idea is about bringing shalom into your life. There's a miracle that happens. We talked about in the book of Lamentations, we talked about repentance and how we have this sin and we're, we're called to confess and lay it down before God. And I, I was thinking about even that action because that, I, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of sin in my life. And so when I, when I think of all the sin, it, it's, a, it's a burden on me. It's a weight on me. And when you lay it before God, God does something amazing and he forgives that sin. And, and I can only imagine from God's perspective when someone repents, when someone, when someone repents and turns from what they've done wrong and, and they, they confess it to God, I could imagine how happy God is. I, I could imagine that if you've been harboring something that you've, you've sinned and you haven't confessed it, that when you come to God with it and you take what was on your back, that burden, and you lay it before the cross, I could imagine how happy God is, how blessed God is. I'm sure it's you know, like anyone coming before you and asking for forgiveness. And what once was a burden on them, that sin that was plaguing them, that when they let it go and they put it before the cross, that now it becomes a blessing. That's the miracle. And that's the kind of the equation that I want to explain to you when it comes to miracles, is that what once was a curse is now turned into a blessing. And I believe the same thing happens with our Sabbath and with our tithes. See, I think there's a curse that's on you. and It's the curse of work. The curse of work is that all the pressure and all the responsibilities on your shoulders, everything that this life has to offer is based on how you perform and how you work and how you operate. And so that, that burden is on you. And what Sabbath is calling you to do, similar to repentance, is taking that burden off of your shoulders and laying it before God and saying, God, I feel this pressure to perform. I feel this pressure to produce. I feel this pressure to provide. Sabbath is a time to say, Lord, but it's yours. And what ends up happening is the curse of work becomes a blessing. And God redeems it. God shows you, I will provide. God shows you, I will help you succeed. That God shows, I will help you prosper. Because why? We are laying it before the cross. And the funny thing is, the act is simple. I mean, the act isn't hard. I mean, it's very difficult, but it's not like it's, it's a complex thing. It's simply resting in the fortress of God. When we come to church on Sundays, I hope you are resting in the sense that this is a fortress of God, that in this place, that in your life, because the Holy Spirit is with you, that God will protect you. And so when we take a Sabbath, that God is the one who's going to protect you, that God is the one who's going to protect your work. Same goes with money. And again, this is not to increase giving at our church. The idea is, is that you make money and what you do is that burden of producing money, that burden of, of, of providing, that it's on your back and it's on your shoulders and it's constantly weighing you down. What God is saying is, 
what is a curse unto you, that when you give, it then becomes a blessing. And I think we, we experience this on a, on a smaller level when we give to others. When you give, when you give to those who are in need, you realize what was a burden on you because you're trying to make money, you're trying to do all these things. That when you see someone in need and you're able to give to that person in their time of need, that burden becomes a joy. It becomes something that's a blessing that you realize, man, it's so, it feels so good to give. It feels so good to be generous. What God wants. What God wants in those times is for us to experience shalom. It's wholeness. I think so many of us in this room are so good at making decisions for ourselves. But I think all the decisions we make for ourselves, I'm sorry, they're going to fail. Like, I get it. I, mean, I, I, think, I think this is where it's, I, I'm going to lose a lot of people in terms of understanding where I'm getting with this. But I, I'm sorry. I think there's a lot of us in here that our 10-year plans, our 15-year plans, our 30-year plans, that you know what? It may not work out the way you think it's going to work out. It most likely won't work out the, thing, the way you think it's going to work out. The dreams that you have for yourself may not happen. It may not bring you the kind of joy that you want. But I guarantee you something. God's plan will always bring shalom. That God's plan in your life will always bring you completion. That it will always bring you redemption. Because we know what it did with Christ. We know that Christ being our example. We know that Christ being our sacrifice. That him being our salvation. That we are secure in him. And again, this is why this is kind of an intro sermon. Because I'm, not even, I'm barely scratching the surface on this idea of shalom. This idea of completion and wholeness. I want to walk with you through this. I want to live life with you through this. I want our church to be a place that people experience shalom. People experience this, this wholeness, this kind of community that's not just on the surface level, good fellowship, but there's a deeper underlying spirituality that the reason why we experience this joy and this love and this peace is because God is the one who is our fortress. That God is the one who is protecting us. We have so many worries, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm just talking to the wrong group of people, but I, I have so many worries. And if, you're, if we're similar, I think we all have worries. I think what God is calling us to do is to be still and to rest in him. To be still and recognize that our worries can be transformed, can be transformed into a blessing. All we do is lay it at his feet and say, Lord, it's yours. Lord, it's all yours. Church, I want us to experience shalom. I really do. And not just shalom with your finances. It's not even about that. I want you to experience shalom in your families. I want you to experience shalom in your relationship with your kids. I want you to experience shalom when you go to work. I want you to experience shalom in every encounter that you have knowing that it's not based on you and how well you perform. I want you to understand that shalom is because Christ died for you and his blood is over you and the Holy Spirit resides in you. And so you are guaranteed shalom. You are guaranteed wholeness, completion, 
in everything that you touch. This isn't the prosperity gospel. This isn't telling you that you're going to make a lot of money, that you're going to have a lot of things. What I'm telling you is that because Jesus died for you, that you will have completion in your life. But I feel like many times we reject the calling of the Holy Spirit. We reject his call to shalom. And we say, you know what? My way sounds better. My wisdom sounds better. What I think is right sounds better. And so instead of taking that Sabbath, I'm going to work a little harder. Instead of resting in the fortress of God, I'm going to build myself a fortress. Instead of trusting that God is going to fight my battles, I'm going to make sure that I sharpen my tools and I'm going to fight myself. Instead of giving and being generous, I need to make sure that I save and I protect myself. Church, I'm not, I'm not talking about a radical change in your life. This is not a radical change in your life. These start with the small decisions. These small moments in your life where you say, I'm, instead of following my way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow God's. Instead of following my wisdom, what I think is right, I'm going to try to adhere my life to the word of God. I, I want to bless you. I want, I want to see you being blessed. And the only way that's going to happen, only way is if we follow God, that we're still, that we are still, and we know that he is God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Psalm 46. I thank you that you have explained to us that you are our fortress. I thank you that our call is to be still and know that you are God. Father, I, I, I thank you that you are a much better God than the God of money. Lord, that you are able to produce in us redemption, that you are able to regenerate in us, that you are able to bring to life what, once, what was once dead. Father, I pray against our greed. I pray against our temptations. I pray against our sin. And instead, Lord, that we would chase after you, that we would follow after you, that God in all things, that we would trust in you. Father, I pray that you would bring peace into our lives. You would bring completeness into all things. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.